Today's show is brought to you by Airtable. What is Airtable? It is part spreadsheet, part database, and entirely flexible. Take maintaining an editorial calendar. You need to manage writers, editors, copy editors, social media people, all on tight deadlines. Anyone who has been in a newsroom can tell you it gets messy very fast. With Airtable, you can get organized in your own way. That's why leading teams at places like BuzzFeed Studios, Group 9 Media, and Time all use Airtable. It's flexible enough to adapt to your process, but powerful enough to keep everything on schedule. Visit Airtable.com slash Digiday today to get $50 in free credits. Hello and welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Morrissey. This week I am joined by Chris Altchek. Chris is the CEO and co-founder of Mike, a news publisher focused on young people. Mike has raised nearly $60 million and it was one of the first publishers to talk about making a pivot to video. That's of course taken on a bit of a bad connotation of late. Chris and I talk about whether the pivot was a mistake, figuring out Facebook, and how Mike's vertical expansion is going. Have a listen. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's doom and gloom out there, Chris. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Give me, uh, give me the status check on Mike. There's a lot of bad news going around, particularly in the wake of the Facebook algorithm change. Um, it would seem to hit a, a media company like yours hard. You know, we um, started focusing on uh, taking our voice and turning it into what we thought would be where we found the most success with audience, which was, uh, you know, we think about it really as like the 60 minutes for our generation. Um, that's the type of reporting that Mike, you know, has been doing now for about a year and a half, um, in video, um, that, uh, you know, has had a lot of success on Facebook, um, but also has had a lot of success on a lot of other platforms. And, um, you know, it's taken us, some time to really develop our voice um, and our style in um, visual and video formats, which we you know talked about doing, I think now almost two and a half years ago and really started doing well um, last year. Um, and um, you know for us, uh, it's very much not doom and gloom um, because uh, the audience wants, this type of journalism, the platforms want this type of journalism, the TV networks want this type of journalism, and advertisers want to be around people that are doing uh, really interesting, really good work in the types of formats that millions of people consume. So, um, you know, we might be a little bit insulated from what, uh, you know, what the, the doom and gloom that a lot of other platforms are mm -hmm. seeing. So you pivoted to video early, right? I mean, we, yeah, we started, we started doing video. I mean, the pivot to video trope is kind of funny. Right. Um, well, yeah. because it's become like kind of like a punchline for a bad strategic decision. Well, it's also become, uh, you know, it's not very thoughtful. I mean, people are accusing Vice of pivoting to video. People accused MTV of Did pivoting they, to video. Still, well, MTV I, is a... We've all pivoted from somewhere, but I mean, they were a magazine, so they pivoted to something. Yeah, I, I think... Um, I, I think, but I mean, you guys were mostly text, and then you you sort of very publicly said that you were going to emphasize um, visual content. Yeah. So that look, the timeline for for my you know started in 2011. Um, we 
uh, we saw, um, you know, my, my, I started the company with Jake Horowitz. He uh, was a reporter in the Middle East, had come back to New York. Um, we were both inspired by this idea that there were a lot of people, uh, a lot of our friends, a lot of our peers who were really engaged in making the world a better place. Um, they wanted to uh, work for political causes. They wanted to protest. They wanted to activate in their local communities. They wanted to push the companies they worked for to do better things. We saw this sort of uh, group of change makers who wanted to make the world a better place. And that was a fundamental part of how they lived their lives. And we looked at the major news outlets and didn't see any news outlet doing journalism consistently for this audience with that lens on the world, not cataloging every single problem in the world, but um, doing really good reporting and then finding the people that are solving those problems and amplifying their voices. And this was as Policy Mike originally. Yeah, this was as Policy right. Mike, um, originally incorporated as a nonprofit. Okay. Um, so, so that was uh, the very early days. We realized that social would become the place where these conversations were happening. Um, that was the place where these conversations were happening, um, and that we were going to. That, that means Facebook. I mean, because even you guys came into being at uh, right when the wave started. Yeah, Facebook and Twitter. Um, I mean, this was Arab Spring, so the actual. So I was working in finance. Um, we this was 2010. Jake had just come back from the Middle East. Had signed up a writer who was working in Tunis. Um, that writer was on the ground and live blogged for us day one of the Arab Spring. Um, at the end, this was the end of 2010, beginning of 2011. And that's actually when we decided, oh, mm -hmm. we should quit our jobs and do this full time. But that's time. also coincidentally when Facebook, probably seeing the role Twitter played in the Arab Spring, got some sort of like jealousy thing and decided to pour the gas on to its publishing business, started sending massive amounts of traffic to to publishers. Yeah, and, and that really accelerated through 2013, 2014. Um, so we, you know, we realized that, okay, this is, you know, social and mobile are becoming the places where our, our audience learns about the world. So we're going to get really good at doing journalism that matters in those platforms. And so that's what we started building. It was in text first and optimized for mobile mm. um, and um, grew really fast. It grew really, really fast. And then um, in about 2014, we realized that uh, this social mobile, you know, distribution channels that we were really focused on um, were going to become completely video. Um, and it really started with Snap, you know, as our audience started sending each other images and videos instead of text messaging to each other, we realized that um, this shift from text to video would be a big one and an important one on these platforms. But this was at a time when Facebook was itself emphasizing video. Not yet. I mean, they were starting this to. This was before it Facebook. It was just at the very beginning of Facebook. Because, I mean, Facebook represented the overwhelming majority of your traffic, right? They did in 2014. Yeah. So I would guess, look, you ride a tiger and, you know, where the tiger goes, you go. Um, and Facebook was the tiger to ride then. Yeah, it, it, it was the tiger to ride then. Um, and it was an incredible opportunity to market a brand that didn't exist before. So um, did you see that it as, I mean, because Facebook's an, an amazing way to get in front of a large number of people very quickly. And like you said, it's a very good marketing tool. Um, I think the question ends up being, is it the place to build a media brand? It's one of the places to build a media brand. Okay. Um, and 
the people who've done it successfully have built uh, broad brands that are widely recognized. Um, and we were, we were one of them. I mean, BuzzFeed was built off of Facebook. BuzzFeed is a widely recognized brand. Um, Mike was built off of Facebook in the early days with um, other, you know, some other channels, obviously, like all of us have other channels and became right. widely recognized as a result. Um, but the, I guess what I end up wondering is, I always go back to portfolios. Every single media company has two portfolios. One is an audience portfolio, one is a revenue portfolio. Yep. And it seems to me that everyone's portfolios got out of whack. The audience portfolio for many media companies over-indexed on Facebook, which was great. It's like over-indexing your, your stock portfolio, uh, your, your portfolio in the stock market when the stock market is going great. When the stock market goes into a bear market, then all of a sudden you're like, oh man, I should have had more bonds. Um, what I wonder is, you know, what percentage did Facebook represent of the audience portfolio? I mean, it, it was, yes, it was an outsized portfolio, um, but that's just because Facebook on an absolute basis is 10 times bigger than the next biggest place you could distribute your content. You know, mm -hmm. if you have got uh, 2 billion people accessible on Facebook and not another platform that even comes close, YouTube may be the only one, yeah. um, then yes, Facebook will represent an outside percentage of outsized percentage of how you reach your audience. I think what's important and what we really focused on, um, you know, as we started doing video in, in 2014, and we didn't start doing video because we thought we would make a lot of money on Facebook doing video. Um, that was never the thesis. Um, the thesis was this move towards video on mobile is, uh, going to happen across platforms. Um, so Facebook is doing it, but so are all of the other major mobile content platforms. And that has proven out to be true. Um, and then two, that ultimately in the next version of pay TV bundles, um, high quality news and high quality journalism that young people care about will be part of that. Um, okay. that was our thesis in 2015. Um, and that's why we started building video. And that was, uh, in our conversations with our board and with our investors. And that's what we were talking mm -hmm. about internally too. Um, so one narrative I usually hear is that particularly for VC funded, uh, digital publishers, the thesis originally was that, look, all this money is going to have to go over. The audience is not on, on TV, certainly not in newspapers and magazines. And so a lot of the valuations were based off of things that were not going to come true with a display market that was being eaten by Google and Facebook. And so that the pivot to video is really a pivot, one, to Facebook, and two, a pivot to let's find a way to meet these expectations that are not going to be met with display advertising and text content because that the display market got eaten by Google and Facebook. Yeah, I mean, it was very clear to us that the display market was not going to be a robust, huge business driver. You know, you the, the successful display advertising businesses run on thin margins, uh, run low cost content production operations and are really good at aggregating audiences in those ways. Guess what? That doesn't equal high quality journalism. Mm -hmm. So um, that's not going to sustain the type of content and the type of storytelling we wanted to do. Um, for us, in terms of, uh, you know, the premise that this was a VC focused thing, we uh, never raise money with huge valuations. Um, and we really saw when our and see um, an opportunity that we predicted happening. Um, and so 
Um, we started, you know, so 2014, we start doing video. It takes time to figure out mm -hmm. what type of video you want to do. Um, 20. You have to change the types of people you have. You got to take like a hit to the number of people who come to your website. Yeah, you have to make, you have to do a lot of right. change. I mean, producing really, really good journalism and video is hard. Um, and so we experimented a lot, uh, experimented a lot in 2015. We also, at the same time, um, hired new editorial management um, to raise, uh, to, to bring a new level of journalistic rigor to Mike. Um, and right. so, so in parallel, we were uh, finding our voice in video and uh, building a journalism operation that was really serious and could go up with the best of them and still connected with our audiences in a really meaningful way. And so that was, you know, 2015, 2016 is really, we did those two things in parallel. We tried a lot of different things. Okay. And then 2017. And you were helped there because Facebook at that time was still favoring video. I mean, look, a lot of the newsfeed content became video at that very time, right? And a lot of the newsfeed content is still video right. today. Um, and so that was happening. And then in 2017, we took a look at the landscape and realized that we had hit on something, um, that, uh, our journalism, which, uh, is really sort of three formats that we do. We do correspondent led, uh, reporting. Uh, we've got about five correspondents who reach a lot of people and who do journalism that breaks through in a major way across Facebook, across Twitter, across Instagram, across most of the major digital video platforms. Um, that's really good, really differentiated. We do opinion stories that routinely are some of the most watched and talked about stories on Twitter and Facebook. Um, and then we do first person profiles, um, that are also really good and really, really distinctive. Um, okay. So this is not like the typical, I, I don't know what to call it. Like now this videos, um, a lot of people are, are taking basically stock photos, stock footage. They're putting, um, captions on it. They're uploading it to Facebook. I'm sure it's more complicated than that, but that's what it sort of seems like. Yeah. So we experimented and tried some of that for a brief period in 2015, 2016, um, and realized that that wasn't going to be a valuable long-term play for our audience and ultimately wouldn't be mm -hmm. a valuable long-term position for the marketplace. Was that just because everyone was doing it? No, because there was nothing unique. Right. Um, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. The, and, and, and like so, you don't build a brand doing the same thing that everyone else is doing or having content that everybody else has. Yeah. Um, and so if you look at what we produce now, it's almost a hundred percent original hmm. content. Sounds um, expensive. It is expensive. Um, and it's really good. Um, and you know, like last week we, two days before the, two days before the March, we profiled, uh, somebody named Jer journey Madison, uh, who's in Chicago. She's 16 years old and she, uh, takes care of people who get shot, uh, in her community because there are no trauma centers in the South side of Chicago. Um, and she's now training other kids to take care of their friends when they get shot. And it's an incredibly inspiring, cool story about a change maker who's making positive change in the world that isn't being told on the big networks and isn't being told by other digital publishers who don't go out in the field and do this type of reporting. Mm -hmm. um, and we tell those stories twice a week and they resonate very deeply across the various, with our audience. 
Okay, so give me the, a lot of people came on here uh, on this podcast and gave me these tremendous video video view figures. Um, they didn't talk about watch time usually. Um, give me some sort of way to quantify that this is connecting with the audience. Yeah, I mean the 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 metric side of this is still messy, um, but the biggest metric company in the, in in our world, Nielsen. Um, which uh, has a television product and a new digital product called Nielsen DCR, mm-hmm. um, which is um, supposed to be pretty accurate, um, has us at reaching 49 million people a month. And um, My question is always, is that good? That's, I mean, when you look at how many people we reach on every evening, for example, we reach as many as a lot of cable networks on primetime. But uh, I, cause I, I know if I do not, if I do not push back on that, Joe Marchese will like bombard my email. Cause anytime anyone from the digital world compares it to TV, um, there's a, there's a faction that just, that, that goes up in arms because it, it, it's apples and like coconuts. Yeah. But, so because time- I mean, these are not, these are not people that are spending a half hour. Maybe a few are, but I mean, not, it's not we like the same as tuning into a TV program. Yeah, we don't produce anything that's a half hour. Um, so people spend... So the way we think about it, and our KPIs um, have oriented now from views to time spent. That's okay. how we think about success. Um, and it, defer, it it's pretty different per platform, depending on how the platforms work. Uh, but about 20% of the people who come across our videos watch a majority of them. Um, and that's really what we How long are they typically? three and a half to eight minutes. Okay. Um, they're essentially segments of their news. They're, they're, they news segments. Um, that's very similar to what you'd see on, um, some, you know, cable TV and broadcast news programming. Okay. And so how many of these are via Facebook versus other platforms? You know, it's, it's shifted very quickly. I mean, this weekend, um, if you looked on Apple news, um, and swipe left on your Apple News home screen, um, you would have seen six videos uh, featured by, produced by Mike, featured by Apple, um, about everything leading up to the, the, the march. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Apple News reaches a lot of people. Left of home is installed on every Apple device in the U.S. Um, that's a very meaningful reach. Okay, so I mean, is Facebook less than 75% now? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we produced uh, a story. We went to Nebraska, produced a story about a guy named Chris Shields, who was a Trump supporter in the military, uh, thinking about giving back his AR-15. Mm-hmm. We profiled him as he went through that decision, talked about it with other people, uh, ended up going through with it and bring it to the police. I actually saw uh, this one. And, um, and it reached a lot of people. Yeah. It reached a lot of people. Um, and it was one of the few empathetic looks at somebody creating change that um, wasn't on one side of the political aisle. Uh, resonated with a lot of people, started conversations on the left, on the right, and does exactly what you know we want to mm-hmm. do at Mike. Um, and we do that twice a week. Right. So you mentioned that the, the, the news feed is still majority video. Is the news feed still a good place for a media brand to connect with its audience? I mean, it's changing very quickly. Um, and I think Facebook newsfeed will always be part of your marketing mix. 
Um, but you're saying marketing mix. Explain that. Um, it's an incredible way to reach a lot of people quickly. Um, it's organically not, or paid both. Okay. Um, and it's not, but it's not the place to build a loyal audience. Quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's sponsor is Airtable, the all-in-one collaboration platform. Teamwork has never been more important, and that's hard to pull off in an environment like today's where everything is changing constantly. Enter Airtable. This is a tool that can fit your process, but it's also powerful enough that it keeps everyone on the same page. Time, for instance, uses Airtable to manage its entire creative process from the original idea to creating content and getting it out the door. Airtable empowers you to do your work your way. Try it today. Head to Airtable.com slash Digiday to receive $50 in free credits. Thank you, Airtable. So where do you do that? I mean, because I guess what I see is it became very in vogue to sort of um, almost abandon the O&O model, certainly websites, but even apps, really, um, because the audience was on these gigantic platforms I mean, it was like the Tour de France during the Lance Armstrong years. I mean, like everybody was on the juice. Everybody was zooming up out, up to us, um, you know, but then that ends. Um, and now people seem like, you know, we're getting bombarded with, you know, people wanting to email newsletters again. Um, and everyone now wants to own their audience uh, because these platforms are good for marketing, but at the same time, they have their own interests. Sometimes they're not aligned with uh, publishers. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the way we're thinking about it, um, and we're a little bit unique, we create really expensive, really high quality, 60 minute style journalism for a younger generation. There's not mm -hmm. a lot of people doing that. There's a couple other um, media companies who do what we do. Um, and so um, what, our, what our focus is on and what we're thinking about is there are a bunch of platforms that um, want and need this type of journalism now more than ever. Um, given all of the conversations around the quality of the news people are getting, uh, all the conversations and, and the reality of um, how messy the digital ecosystem has become from a journalism standpoint, um, there is a strong demand for this type of journalism from both the audiences and from the platforms. Mm -hmm. The platforms um, have in you know, 2017, 2018, uh, started to restructure their business models to be able to support this type of work. Um, and that's really promising. And, you know, by the end of this year, um, all of our work that shows up on a social platform will be paid for, okay. um, not by an advertiser. So, and then on the flip side of that, um, we're seeing, uh, the, sort of streaming platforms, you know, people have been, we've been talking about that the streaming platforms will naturally move into news and sports. Um, you know, it may take three years, it may take five years when we started talking about this in mm -hmm. 2015, 2016. Um, and now that's happening too. Um, and, you know, Mike will be launching uh, on one of the big three streaming networks uh, at the end of this year. Um, and so the two things we've been focused on are very much happening. And so, so we don't, yeah. we're, not, we're not thinking about the the business in the same way that I think other digital publishers may so be where, thinking about so it. So where is the revenue today coming from? Because a lot of the stuff is not able to be monetized, um, particularly on Facebook. The mid-roll program from all of our reporting um, isn't working that great. I mean, I just came back from our, our publishing summit, um, and the general consensus is 
you know, there's gigantic audiences on these platforms and there's not a lot of money. Yeah, if you are trying to monetize through programmatic, which mid-roll is a version of programmatic, um, you will not be able to support high-quality, expensive journalism, full stop. So is this still like, we hope that in the future it's going to, you know, the platforms will will, will pay and... Like I, I guess what I was struck how many times hope was used by um, by publishers when talking about this and, and hope generally is not a strategy. Yeah, it's it's definitely not. So we have an we have a advertising business that probably looks very different than a lot of other digital media companies, um, which makes up the majority of our revenue. And then we have a very fast growing licensing business that is not based on hope, but based on actual projects and contracts People are paying you with um, so is that the big- best distribution companies in the world. And, and both businesses are growing. Yeah. The, the advertising business, um, you know, there's a lot of people who uh, drive traffic and sell ads programmatically, whether they're in video, whether they're pre-roll or whether they're uh, display advertising. And um, that's their business model. That is less than 5% of our revenue. Um, our revenue is driven by uh, brand services, um, that mirror almost exactly what our editorial content is and our editorial strategy is and our distribution strategy. Um, give me an example of that, like the sort of work that you do. So, um, we work with a lot of the biggest companies in the world to develop their strategy for social, to produce their content that they distribute over social and to help them distribute it. Um, an example of a brand that we work with like that is General Electric, um, where we uh, produce a lot of their video storytelling that uh, shows up in their social feeds and shows up in our social feeds and reaches a lot of people very mm. effectively. So you're using your expertise in creating social video to do the same for, for brands. Yeah, and we call it brand journalism. Yeah. Um, and it works really well. Um, we do it for them. We do it for... Uh, Walmart, we do it Mm -hmm. for um, a lot of the biggest companies and it's not branded content the way that a lot of other publishers do branded content based on campaigns. These are um, very strategic, um, very uh, results driven programs that are over a long period of time um, and take advantage of these social platforms for what they're really, really good at. Mm -hmm. But I mean, they sound like they're lower margin than regular ads because it costs you a lot to make this stuff. I mean, yeah. if you're, if you're going to like handcraft a lot of, a lot of ads, I mean, they're basically ads. I mean, the brand journalism, but like if you're going to handcraft it, you're going to cut into margins and the media business is hard as is. Yeah. It's, it's not, um, 95% margins the way running a programmatic ad is. Mm. Um, but the results for advertisers, are much, much, much better than running a programmatic ad, and therefore they're willing to pay a lot more to do it. Um, and so, you know, that's part one. And then part two, we're actually embedded with our clients doing really strategic work that matters. And therefore, um, if we do a good job, then they continue to work with us. Right. Uh, so, uh, one of the big themes at DPS was uh, the diversification on the revenue side. Um, and basically, you know, the pendulum keeps swinging back and forth and advertising is still a great business. It is a great business. It's the best way to support media Uh, still. However, 
people got over-indexed on advertising and uh, there's a big move towards either direct rate of revenue. Some people are betting big on commerce. Some people are betting big on licensing. Some are just betting on everything that's not advertising. Right now, it seems like you guys were almost entirely ad. Your your portfolio was entirely ad and now it's it's ads and a growing portion is these licensing revenues. Exactly. Um, and we've been licensing content since 2016. So, right. but is um, it is it more than incremental? I use the incremental usually is is sort of code word for small. No, I mean all of our licensing deals are more than seven figures. Okay, so where do you see the 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 revenue portfolio going in say two years? I mean, is, does it look very different where advertising is say less than half of of the revenue versus getting paid directly from platforms, getting paid for licensing to streaming services, et cetera. I mean, the advertising business we see is continuing to grow quickly. Um, so you're so not down on ads. We're, we're down on traditional digital ads. We're not, okay. we're very up on display ads are not going to pay the bills. No. And they never were paying the bills at Mike. So that wasn't a challenge for us. <laughs> um, f- we, we believe that, I mean, there, there, there's two components as to why our ad business is growing and continuing to grow. Part one is companies are very, are realizing that um, they need to be purpose-driven in every which way they operate. Not only their marketing, but, but how they actually run the company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's uh, you're seeing more companies behave like activists than ever before. And you're seeing the companies that do this well be really, really successful. Um, companies that essentially do the right thing. Um, and doing the right thing is now starting to live at the center of their marketing strategies. You know, if you watch the Super Bowl this year, how many of the commercials were purpose driven? 70%. You know, uh, I was in Japan. I didn't see any of the commercials. There were 70% of the c- commercials were about why XYZ company right. is having a po- positive yeah. impact on the world. Those commercials were not very good. Um, but it's very clear that that trend is going in that direction. When you think about who's telling stories about having positive impact on the world and reaching the people who care about this stuff, Mike is so squarely in that world that we have a unique advantage there. The second part is um, when you want to get those stories out, what are the most effective channels to do that? Um, The most effective channels to tell those types of stories are social um, because social advertising is native advertising. Um, Television commercials just feel icky in that space. Um, Social is has, has proven and, and, you know, we've run a lot of programs now that show that you can really change people's minds with good social mm-hmm. storytelling. Um, so you still believe in sort of social platforms like Facebook as, as powerful mechanisms for reaching audiences for sure. I mean, what has the last election taught us? If not that. No, it's definitely a good place to, to, to run ads for sure. Um, I mean, it's, I don't know if it's, I, I don't know if it's a good place to build a media brand. I'm not saying that I'm not, I'm I'm not saying it's a good place to build a media brand. I'm saying it's, uh, a very good place to change the minds of millions of people effectively. Um, and, um, from a brand stand, not Mike brands from our advertisers point of view, um, being able to do that and being able to do that cost effectively and in a really high quality 
highly ethical way mm-hmm. um, is what we help them do. And that's why our advertising business is going to con- continue to thrive. Um, the licensing business, um, if two years ago, none of the social platforms were licensing any version of journalism um, and none of the streaming platforms were licensing any version of journalism, look at what's happening now versus and what's going to mm-hmm. be happening at the end of this year. Facebook um, is coming out with a, a, you know, a, basically a watch version for news, right? Facebook, Snap, Twitter, um, everybody except for YouTube is doing it, essentially. Yeah. And then on the streaming side, you're already starting to see a lot of these things happen. We'll be right back after a quick break. Digiday has three other podcasts you should check out. Our newest is Starting Out. It's a podcast where Shreem Patak talks to leaders in the marketing industry about how they got to where they are today. We've had guests like Jeff Goodby, Jamie Robinson, and Wendy Clark. Recently, we featured GE CMO Linda Boff on it. You should subscribe. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Anchor.fm. And let us know what you think. Now back to the episode. They typically cut checks for a year, and and then they wind that down. Uh, we saw that with live. We'll see it with watch. Um, and it's fend for yourself with advertising. I mean, that's been you know very specific to Facebook, but at Snap and Twitter, it hasn't been like that. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, it's it's essentially, do you think um, these platforms have uh, incentives based on their users to promote high quality news. Um, a few years ago, you know, it was very clear to all of us in this room that they probably should be doing that. Uh, but it wasn't clear to them. Um, I think it's become clear to them that uh, really, I would kind of think it, what became clear to them is they want the, is to distance themselves as much as possible from news altogether and to pivot to baby photos. Um, because news has been nothing, but a hassle. Um, they, I mean, I had Nick Thompson from Wired on here, and he wrote a giant cover story about how Facebook stumbled into the news business because they were jealous of Twitter getting all this attention. Um, it's arguably brought them like nothing but grief. I, I can imagine a lot of people there who would just say, "Oh, who, Twitter, you can have it." Like, we'll, we'll just go back to, you know, meaningful interactions between. Uh, between family members maybe if they're willing to take the drop in time spent and user growth that'll come with that yeah um it's brought them a lot of grief and probably uh, 50 percent growth in time spent in the last three years uh so i mean i think that news and high quality journalism is yeah. a core part of any large diversified content distribution company's strategy um and uh, there aren't a lot of people that do really high quality journalism that resonates with young people. And we're one of them and, mm-hmm. um, are, are being supported in the right ways by a lot of platforms to continue to do that. Whether Facebook decides that that's important or doesn't decide that that's important, it'll have an impact on our business, but it won't be, uh, you know, it won't be, um, the deciding factor in our business. And if they decide that they care about high quality journalism, then we will probably be one of the places that is heavily promoted. And if they decide they don't want any news at all, then guess what? We won't show up on Facebook, but Facebook will be much smaller without any right. news. So, I mean, it's not like live or die with Facebook. Definitely not live or die with Facebook. Because I mean, we saw with little things, um, different business, absolutely feel good content and whatnot. Um, and 
I, I don't know. Dif- different business model. Yes, for sure. So, I mean, is that, I, just because like, I think a lot of people are wondering whether or not we're going to see a, a raft of publishers that were Facebook dependent um, really, really run into trouble. If you were running a lot of programmatic ads um, and distributing your content through Facebook, then you are going to be in trouble. Yeah. I mean, look, look, there was a lot of publishers that were relying on Facebook for traffic and then monetizing through Facebook audience network. So, I mean, you could argue that at some point, like, you know, their interests are aligned, but clearly Facebook has a lot of different factions. Uh, one last thing. That's not our, yeah, it's not our business. Right. So one last thing, um, which is the vertical strategy. I mean, you decided to, building one brand's hard. Um, building a house of brands is harder. I, explain that. You know, news is um, a category that, um, you know, that that advertisers take some time to get their head around. Um, And uh, what Mike does is journalism on social, cultural, and political issues that matter deeply to a lot of people. Um, A lot of the storytelling and a lot of the journalism we do is not purely in hard news and hard political news. Um, and having really clear categories is a way to, uh, get advertisers comfortable with the fact that, uh, not everything we do is Charlottesville. It it can't all be Charlottesville because advertisers, a lot of advertisers flee from that stuff. And I think what's, you know, been interesting is that, um, a lot of advertisers flee from it, but now a lot of advertisers also care about it much more than they ever did. Um, you know, how many big fortune 100 companies made statements after Charlottesville, right? Um, a lot of them, um, and a lot of them were, um, were some of our clients, um, who we have very strategic relationships with who, um, we talk through, uh, you know, not our journalists, but the people who live on the brand services side, talk through what actually the right statement is to make and how to do it and how to be and talk about these issues in a way that's going to resonate and create empathy, not create divisiveness. Um, so that's the type of thing that we do at Mike that um, makes us unique. Mm-hmm. Um, but the verticals are a way to have other, you know, verticals that are not Charlottesville, that that are more advertiser-friendly? Yeah, verticals are a way to um, organize our storytelling in a way that um, advertisers know that this is not Charlottesville. I mean, our Trump coverage is very clearly organized yeah. around a vertical with our Trump coverage, um, which means that our other coverage is not influenced by Trump coverage. Right. Um, and has that been effective? It has been for what we've been focused on uh, with it. Um, you know, they have not become um, giant consumer-facing media brands in and of themselves, um, but they have been effective for um, for organizing our content and, and making sure that, um, you know, our journalism that's really hard hitting is in one specific place Mm -hmm. and our journalism that's about social and cultural issues is in another specific place. Okay. So what is the advantage of having them as, as sort of sub brands? I don't know if you would call them sub brands, vertical brands, as opposed to, as opposed to it just being, I don't know, Mike and then, you know, a, a vertical about social, Mike, you know, we, we politics, Mike, we experiment with a lot of different things. Okay. And, um, 
one and th- and when we did this um social was also in a different place two and a half years ago mm-hmm. um and um we had a thesis around building you know we saw success building out specific vertical social accounts that were really branded uniquely um and that's what we tried so final thing Chris, is how do you stay focused on i mean because you're almost a, have a mission-based uh company and it started as almost a more- well, I, so it is. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so they're equal. Like, you know, fulfilling the mission and having a profitable business are equal. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're very intertwined. Okay. So how do you stay stay um, true to that when there's a lot of incentives to go off course? Um, you know, look, we, we both know, like, if you want to goose those those video views, you know, do the weird product reviews, do a lot more food. I mean, and so on and so forth. I mean, it's it's a well known, it's a well known playbook. I feel like now. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, I think we have the luxury of having a mission um, that's really focused and really defined. And you know, our mission is to tell stories that help change makers make change and do journalism that matters to these people. And um, that you know, has helped us actually with all of the noise in the marketplace and with all the changes in digital media to focus on doing a certain set of things and doing them really, really well. Um, and so for us, you know, that is being the 60 minutes for this next generation. Um, and, um, you know, we've, uh, figured out a way to make that resonate, um, with audiences because it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, if you deliver on that promise, people will watch you and care about what you do. Um, and I, and, you know, on the business side, um, we focused on building a business around that. Um, so we don't do, um, you know, we don't do the, we don't deploy the tactics that a lot of other digital media companies deploy that you were just talking Mm -hmm. about, um, to get as big of a scale numbers as possible for the sake of scale or to drive as much traffic as possible because we have to sell a lot of programmatic ads, um, or to do the, you know, the numerous other thing or to stand up a, um, e-commerce affiliate company because we want to get, uh, you know, we want to get, make money from Amazon through those channels. Like we don't do that stuff because it doesn't align with the mission. Um, what that allows us to do is stay really focused on doing what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is hard. Um, you know, 60 minutes is awesome. I mean, 60 minutes is awesome. Yeah. A lot of people watch it every Sunday night. Um, and although they have sports usually as a lead in, which helps them. Definitely. Um, (laughs) but we think that, um, we know that our, that our audience wants something like that, that they can trust that's diverse, that's from the ground up, that finds the people that, you know, 60 minutes and all these other broadcast and cable news channels are not finding, um, and tells those stories. And if we deliver on that, um, there's a very big business here and we're already seeing it. Um, so, uh, that's, you know, that, that's our focus. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a, uh, I think it's probably very different than a lot of other digital media companies. Absolutely. Chris, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. And thank you all for listening. This podcast is produced by Aditi Sangal. If you liked our show, and I hope you did, please subscribe. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and now also on Spotify and Anchor.fm. I don't even know what Anchor.fm is, but you should find us there. And while you're there, rate us and leave a review. This, I'm told, helps people find the podcast, and I personally like to read the reviews. For instance, I want to thank Zoo Operman, who left a review recently for us and said, quote, 
name a better media podcast. Go ahead. I dare you. I have nothing, Zoo Operman, nothing. And D. Bowman, 25, who says, quote, quality stuff, informative, entertaining, insightful about the industry without all the boring stuff. Okay. Thank you both, Zoo Operman and D. Bowman, 25. We appreciate uh, your time and your reviews. And we'll be back next week with a new episode.